Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Oh man, Citizens Youth, what's up? How we doing? It's Wednesday night. What does that mean? It's Wednesday night. Best night of the week, yeah. Thank you, Gabrielle. For some hype in the room tonight, I love it. Woo! Can you thank uh, our team, our music team, for leading us uh, in songs, guys? Just give it up for them. So thank you for them. They would never ask for applause, but I will ask for applause on their behalf. So don't expect them to ask next time. Well, guys, welcome. Um, We're so glad that you guys are here. If you are brand new tonight, if this is like your first time or maybe like your second time, welcome to Citizens Youth. I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Noah. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, we're super pumped to uh, have you here tonight. We do a couple things here. We open up the Bible, so go ahead, and if you have your Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We just spent the last two weeks in Acts chapter 1, where we are learning all about the beginnings of the church of Jesus, and tonight I think is going to be a super special uh, passage for us. So go ahead, everybody, open your Bible, and when you're there, say, I'm there. If you need another minute, say, wait. All right, too late. I'm still going to go. All right, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are learning all about um, the disciples, the apostles specifically, the ones who saw Jesus, the risen Savior Jesus on this earth. They are now waiting Per Jesus' instructions, Jesus has told them, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the apostles are waiting right now. Last week, we learned that they, um, uh, they elected or they uh, chose a new apostle to join them uh, to fill the vacant spot left by Judas. And now they are here and they are waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus made a lot of promises here while he was on earth. Jesus made a lot of promises. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will give you power. There will be a helper to come and be with you. Jesus made a ton of promises, and he kept every single one. When Jesus was here on earth and the truth communicated through his scripture, Jesus keeps every single promise that he makes, and he's a lot he, he's not quite like you and me, I should say. He's not, not, that, uh, not that I'm super good at keeping promises, I have to confess. I, uh, I get really eager about things, and I'll like, commit to a bunch of things. I'm like, yes, I'd love to do this and that and the other thing. And then like, sometimes when it comes to actually do it, I'm like, oh, that thing's today or whatever. All right, raise your hand, people in the room. Okay, keeping promises, maybe like a 5 out of 10, maybe like a 6 out of 10. Right, you got, okay, so let me, you guys know it. You know your mom is mad at you, you haven't done the dishes, and you're like, mom, I promise, I promise, Mom, I will do them when I get home from practice. And you get home from practice or rehearsal or whatever, and you're just completely exhausted. And you show up at home, and there are the dishes. And they're just, like, looking at them, and you're like, I made a promise, right? And maybe you try one, and you're like, I'm conveniently falling asleep. And you're like, I promise, Mom, tomorrow, right? 
I, uh, I've recently uh, become a little bit like that now that I don't have a dishwasher in my apartment, right? I hand wash everything, and I'm like, oh, I promise, Joe, I will absolutely do these dishes tonight, and then tonight turns into tomorrow night, and then so on and so forth. Um, it happens. Okay, so we got plenty of people in the room. We make promises. Hey, promise you I'll be there. I'll, I promise I'll be there for you. I promise I'll do this thing, mom and dad. I promise my small group leader, my friend, this or that. But our promises, they don't always hold up, right? The reality is that even the funny promises, the serious promises, the things we do, they don't always hold up. But I'm telling you, and we're going to see tonight a passage in uh, Scripture tonight that shows us that Jesus always keeps his promises. Every single proclamation, everything that he said in Scripture has come to fruition or will come to fruition. Jesus keeps his promise to his people. And Jesus said some crazy things like we talked about. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And then he ascends into heaven. I will be with you. I will give you power. And then the disciples are here waiting, waiting, wondering, when is Jesus going to fulfill this promise? And tonight in this next couple passages, we're going to see the powerful, powerful promises of Jesus fulfilled through the coming of the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me before we dive into the passage? And I pray that we would uh, be focused in tonight. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for all the students in the room right now, the ones who are new, the ones who've been coming for years. God, for the Christians in this room who have been a Christian for 10, 15, 16 years, I pray that they would receive something impactful. God, I pray for the one who is uh, wondering about this whole Christian thing, who is curious about the Bible, curious about you, Jesus. I pray that you would get a hold of their hearts tonight, that you would, uh, you would draw near to them, you would draw close to them here in this moment. We love you, Lord. It's all this we pray, Jesus, your precious name. Amen. Amen. Tonight, the title of the message is The Promise Fulfilled at Pentecost. The Promise Fulfilled at Pentecost. So what does that word even mean? Well, we're going to talk about it right now. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, so we already have some unpacking to do here, right here in verse 1. All of the apostles, they're still gathered together in the upper room. They're still waiting. You know, they, they have... Uh, seeing Matthias become this new apostle, and they're all there. They're waiting. They are faithful to listen to Jesus in the waiting. They're faithful to listen to Jesus before the promise is actually fulfilled, and they are to gather together on the day of Pentecost. And now, if, you're, if you've known the Bible, if you've been in uh, you know, church for a little bit, you may hear that word, and you're like, oh, Pentecost. It is a, what we're about to read. It's about the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the, uh, the church being uh, started and the power of the Holy Spirit breathing on his apostles, and then they, they go and do these awesome things. That's what Pentecost is. And for a number of years, I thought that's what it was as well. But Pentecost is actually a thing that was celebrated for years and years and years before this moment in history. So the Jewish people, God's people, um, he uh, had given them commandments. He has given them, specifically in Leviticus, a number of feasts, a number, a number of um, uh, of celebrations that they were to gather together with their family, specifically seven that we see in Scripture. And, and uh, Passover was one of those. The, the, the Feast of Jubilee was another one. And these are traditions kept within uh, Jewish culture and Jewish tradition. And so here they are. They're gathered together on the day of Pentecost. This feast was called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after Passover. So 50 days, it's instructed in Leviticus, to celebrate this feast. And we're going to talk more about the significance of what that feast actually was meant. So this was a thing that has been going on for years. This was something that all, all these people would have been gathered together and celebrating. 
and the people of God, the disciples, they are waiting Jesus' promises. They are faithful to one another. They are uh, devoting themselves to one another and of one accord. When this happens, something in verse 2 through 4, something pretty crazy, that if you haven't heard it, you're going to be like, this is a, what is this happening? If you have heard it, it's super cool. Verse 2, it says this, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on, on one of them, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So verse, uh, verse 2, there's this incredible rushing of wind, this sound. It says it shakes the whole house. It can be heard throughout the whole house. It's just massive, you know, sound of wind. If any of you guys have been in a thunderstorm, we don't have a ton of thunderstorms around here, but if you've ever visited somewhere that has a ton of thunderstorms, you know, just that sound, the, just a, a wind that rushes that shakes the entire house. I grew up like about 15 minutes away from the other ocean, the Atlantic Ocean in uh, New Jersey, and we had tropical storms every single springtime that would just, you know, knock the power out for like a day or whatever. And there was just sometimes the wind was so loud. You could just hear it whistling right outside the window. And I don't know if any of you have had an experience like that. Maybe it's been a little bit scary for you. But this is this, this sound, I imagine it was powerful. It shook the whole house, a mighty rushing wind. And Luke, you know, the author of Scripture, he's like a pretty official guy. He's a doctor. He's very detailed. And so if he says it, it's like, okay. Other than, of course, it's the inspired word of God. But this is just a loud wind. In verse 3, fiery tongues fall upon the apostles, and divided tongues uh, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the moment that Jesus had promised this is a promise that Jesus fulfills to his disciple, but this is also a promise that God has made with his people throughout history, and God is fulfilling this promise here. This first point, verses 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit is a testament of God's faithfulness. That's the first point. The Holy Spirit is a testament of God's faithfulness. When Jesus says he promises something, it's going to happen. When he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, and then he ascends into heaven, and they're like, well, didn't he just say he was going to be with us? Is he going to come back again? Is he going to rise from the dead again or come down from heaven again? What, what does this mean? This is the fulfillment of that scripture. So what is happening here? It is a dramatic display of the Lord's power. It's a dramatic and intentionally uh, it's just amazing, awesome scene displaying the Lord's awesome power so that his followers would never forget a moment like this. It's pretty unforgettable. And his, his listeners are here. His followers have now received the power of the Holy Spirit. It's two things to point out here, two things that I think are absolutely mind-boggling here. So wind and fire, they're both kind of these elements here. And sometimes in Scripture, there's these references. So Scripture, all around, you know, we have to always take a deeper dive. And we don't have to be theologians to understand these things. But through prayer and listening and understanding, the Lord can reveal some, like, pretty cool stuff about his word. And so here, this reference to wind. In the Hebrew, which is what the primarily the Old Testament was written in, the word wind and the word spirit are the exact same word in Hebrew. Fun fact. Did anyone know that? It was called rach is the name, all right? I said that right, rach. You have to kind of like clear your throat at the end. Um, I don't know, everyone say rach. 
Yeah, you guys got it. All right, that word in Hebrew means spirit, and it also means wind. And so when the wind comes, it's like God's spirit is coming, something pretty cool. Also, this, uh, these, these tongues of fire, fire is referenced in the Old Testament as the presence of God multiple times throughout Scripture. So Pentecost, this feast that they celebrated, what were they actually celebrating? The Jewish people at the time were celebrating the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai. They were celebrating the fact that God had given them direction. You know, the Passover was to celebrate them coming out of Egypt and the, the uh, angel of death passing over them in the book of Exodus. And then the, you know, the, the Feast of Pentecost was celebrating the moment that God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave them the law. And here in that story in the Old Testament, we see pillars of fire coming to Mount Sinai. Right? Do you see the connection here? All throughout the, uh, you know, when, the, when God's people are wandering in the desert, when God's people are uh, not exactly doing as they're told, we see references, the Lord appears to them in pillars of fire and in pillars of smoke. And he is, he is with his people constantly. And here, this is a very intentional and very specific moment where God is showing his people, he fulfills his promises. And he says, I'm going to be with you but you're no longer going to have to climb to the top of Mount Sinai. You're no longer going to have to go through a ceremonial cleansing of your hands and sacrifice of a lamb. I have atoned that sacrifice. And because of your faith, because of your faith in me, now you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's this beautiful image of wind and fire filling you know, the room, filling this moment. And the Holy Spirit is now empowering his people for the very first time in human history. This is where it happens. And the church of Christ was born right there in this moment. Don't leave Jerusalem until this thing happens. And here they are in this upper room. It's absolutely incredible. So what does this mean to us, right? Does this mean that we can have moments when there's massive uh, flaming tongues coming and dwelling on top of our heads? I'd say probably maybe not. That's not going to be the direct one-to-one -one ratio. In Acts, we see something new beginning here. We see God keeping his covenant to dwell with mankind. God has always desired to be with his people. From the very beginning, God is literally walking around with Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like you would walk to your friend over the black rock and just have a conversation. Imagine doing that with God himself. When the world was perfect, when things were all as they should have been. And as we know the story, many of you in this room, sin enters the world, but God still wants to dwell with his people. And he makes a way. He dwells with his people in the, in, in the tent, in the tabernacle. He hovers over the Ark of the Covenant. There's all these references to God's spirit being present with his people as they rebel even. And the Lord is faithful uh, to be with them still. But we see now for the first time in human history, after Jesus, after the atoning sacrifice that God needs, we now see God actually come down to dwell with his people in a way that I'm sure they weren't understanding. And in a way, maybe some of us don't even understand to this day. Because God is closer than we could possibly imagine. God is closer to you, if you're a Christian in this room, to you than you could possibly even know. It says that the Spirit of God lives and breathes in us. The thing that gave life to dead situations. You, dead in your trespasses, now have life through Jesus. And Jesus then stamps you with the Holy Spirit. There's life inside of you now if you're a Christian because of the work of Jesus and because of the promise of the Holy Spirit.
God always keeps his promises. God always makes a way. He always keeps his promises. And this is the moment. This is just on full display here. This has got to be one of the most amazing acts, one of the most beautiful pictures in the history of humanity, in the history of our redemption as Christians, in the history of the redemption of mankind. Because God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be close. And now he's closer than anyone could have possibly imagined. The Holy Spirit is a testament of God's faithfulness. Because God always keeps his promises, right? The Spirit's arrival on Pentecost is not only a direct example of how Jesus keeps his promises to his apostles. Yes, that is absolutely true. But the fact that you and I, Christians in this room, who have the Spirit living and dwelling in you, that is also a testament to God's faithfulness to transform you, to protect you, and to revitalize in you what would have been dead and broken. That is also a testament to God's faithfulness. Because the Holy Spirit living inside of you today, it is an example of God's faithfulness. Not exactly our faithfulness, right? The things we've done, the things that we have done to earn this, just like Jesus promised his apostles. He says, just wait, just wait, Jerusalem, until it happens. And of course it happens, and God keeps his promises. The fact that you and I have the living, breathing God dwelling in our hearts in some mysterious way that we can't really quantify with words super well, that is a testament of the Lord's faithfulness to you. And what the Lord has started, he is faithful to complete. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. You don't have to turn there. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. This is Paul writing, of course, years later. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who also has put the seal on us and given us his spirit in our heart as a guarantee. That's what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. It says Christ is the one who has done that and he has given us the Holy Spirit to mark us as his Christians, as his people. So the Holy Spirit living inside of you is a promise. It's a blessing. It's a, it's a testament of God's faithfulness. Because God is no longer not accessible to his people, right? He, you no longer need to go through a ceremonial cleansing. You don't need to go up uh, you know, a mountaintop to a fiery pillar. You don't need to uh, have a priest uh, you know, for you to go behind that curtain that divides God and his people. You, know, you don't have to do that anymore. Because for the very first time recorded here in Acts chapter 2, we see God come down to earth again in some miraculous way in the Holy Spirit is now with God and his people. Something beautiful that happens. The spirit of God is accessible to us and God dwells closer to us than we ever could have imagined. Jeremiah 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Years before Jesus, this is written in Jeremiah. This is what... It, uh, this is what he says, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Once, what was once on stone tablets is now written on your heart. The law of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the direction, the guidance of God, and God wanting to dwell with his people in holiness now lives inside of you. The promise from Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of the prophets, everything pointing to Jesus, saying Jesus is going to be the Messiah and I will transform my people is come to fruition here in, in Acts chapter 2. And we see the church of Christ start from this moment. God's not far away. 
God's not far away. The Old Testament, these epic tales of God, these beautiful imagery of, of God dwelling, you know, in, in the, this temple, in this tent. We see, you know, the Lord split the Red Sea. We see the Lord perform miracles. We see all these epic, crazy things that God has done throughout the Old Testament. And they highlight the awesomeness and holiness of God. But what those stories also do is they highlight how small and how weak and how needy we are. And how much we need something to bridge ourselves to that holiness, to that awesomeness, to that epicness of God. There has to be something. There needs to be some sort of bridge. There needs to be some sort of connection. Because I can't make it up that mountain. I can't ascend the hill to see the Lord on my own good doing. I can't do that. And so after Jesus comes, after he is here, the atoning sacrifice, the, the, the Son of Man raised again, holes in his hand, he leaves, and then the Holy Spirit dwells. And God is not far away to this day. He's not. He's not a distant God. He doesn't not care about what's happening. He doesn't not care about what you're going through. He doesn't not care about, you, you know, your, your personal holiness, your personal growth with himself. God is close. God is near. God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to dwell with you. God's not far away anymore if you know Jesus. If you have Jesus, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you have had that moment where you recognize that you need a Savior, God's not far away. The Holy Spirit dwells, lives, breathes inside of you. He's not far away. When you embrace Jesus in faith, you receive the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come like at a separate time. Like you're like a JV Christian once you're born, but then like varsity Christian, you have to get like baptized with the Holy Spirit. That would be something pretty cool. It's, to, you know, it's not true at all. Um, Titus chapter 3. All right. So if you're like, okay, Noah, prove this to me. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, the moment of what? Who did that? The Holy Spirit. That's the moment that you became a Christian. So clearly the Holy Spirit's already working in your life. 1 Corinthians 12, chap, uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. So all these verses and all throughout the New Testament support this idea. And so often we learned it in Romans chapter 8. We're learning it probably through the next passages that we go through all throughout the New Testament. That... Jesus, when he, when he is Lord of your life, it is the working and the prompting of the Holy Spirit that has brought you there, and it's the Holy Spirit that will stay there with you. And so no one could read this chapter and this verse and say, well, there is some baptism of holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you will receive the Holy Spirit one day if you were to do this or that or something else. You can know, we know that from these verses, that is completely not true. So these people, the doubters, the, the sinners, the misfits, the deniers, the liars, all of them alike in this upper room, the ones who are following Jesus, the uneducated, they're there, they're waiting, and now they receive power. They watch the Lord do this beautiful, wonderful thing. God is not far away. The Holy Spirit, it's a testament to the Lord's faithfulness to his people. The Spirit does a couple things in your life. If you're a believer, the Spirit does a few things. Um, the Lord, in the, through the Spirit, convicts us of sin and righteousness, John tells us. 
the Holy Spirit in our lives helps illuminate Scripture to us. It helps us understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit helps unite us together, Ephesians tell us, right? You know, like this wonderful thing that we get to do as believers, this supernatural thing that happens, even though we're super awkward, weird Christians sometimes, you know, the Lord unites us together. And I've seen the Lord do some amazing things with a group of people. I'm like, these people will never get along. These people are gonna hate each other. But it's that one thing that unites us. That's Jesus and through the Spirit, we're united. And, and so that he convicts us of sin. He helps unite us together. He helps us understand his word. He helps us to preach the gospel. He helps us to know what is true. That's what the Spirit does in and through your life. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's who we are as Christians. And it's through the spirit that we remember who we are. And it's how we remember our identity. Romans chapter 8, we did that this summer. We talked about that. That's what the Spirit does in and through us. And so this moment was a unique moment in, the, in church history. This was a unique and powerful moment that we don't see replicated again throughout the entire New, Test, or New, New Testament. This is something that happened. It was a miraculous thing that the Lord has done. And so we hear this. We know that God is faithful and he's not far away. Do you ever think that he is? Do you ever think that he's far away? Do you ever wonder, man, I know, God, you promised me these things through Scripture, but right now I'm not really feeling it. God, this thing that I'm going through, this friend that I lost, this parent that is sick, you got to be far away. Something's got to be wrong. And the Lord is sovereign over all these situations, but God is near. He is close. If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you've embraced him by faith, he is near and his spirit living inside of you is a testament to his faithfulness. It's a testament to the fact that he will keep you, he will guide you, he will direct you through all of his days. God loves you. God loves you. So this moment, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Now read along with me. Look down at your Bible, verses 5 through 13. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation of their heaven. And this sound of the multitude came together. So the apostles. And they were bewildered because one was hearing them speak in his own, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished by saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elmites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Prigothia and Pamathia, Egypt and all parts of Libya belonging to Serene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine, a.k.a. these guys might have had a few drinks today. Yes, that's in the Bible, 100%. All these people from all different regions, all different areas are here in Jerusalem, and they see this incredible thing happen. We see this from this passage. This is our next point. The Holy Spirit empowers his followers to preach the gospel to the nations. The Holy Spirit empowers his followers to preach the gospel to the nations. That's, that's our second point tonight. 
What I think is really interesting about these passages, Jesus says, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait until my helper comes so that you may go out and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what I love about this between verses 4 and verses 5, there is no record of waiting. There's no record of like discussion. It's like, huh, that was kind of weird. Did you see that too? Yeah, I guess I saw that. That's weird. Anyway, like, let's hang out for a couple days or weeks. No, no, no. We see immediately the disciples go and they are obedient to the call of Jesus. They are immediately following once the promised spirit arrives in their lives. And what do they do? They go out and they begin to tell of what? The good news, the mighty works of God. And the Lord does this incredible thing, this miracle recorded here in Acts chapter 2, where he is able to give people the ability to speak other people's languages. He is giving them what some say is the gift of tongues in this moment. Think about this. This, this, this final instruction, the, the, they're waiting there. I don't know how we're going to do this thing. I don't know when this promise is going to come to fruition. I don't know how we're supposed to. He said Judea and Samaria. Samaria is a scary place to the ends of the earth. That sounds even scarier. And all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord empowers his people to begin the mission immediately. Begin the mission immediately. They start right away. This passage shows us the kingdom of God unites all different types of people together. Heaven is going to be very, very, very diverse. Heaven is going to have different tribes from every tongue, nation, tribes, all different backgrounds, all different uh, upbringings, those who put their faith in Jesus. Heaven and the kingdom of God are going to be filled with people like this. And thank the Lord for that. Thank God for the fact that, you know, the gospel, the good news now no longer is, is to a, a certain group of people or is not just to a select club of people, but the gospel is to be preached to the nations and it begins right away on the day of Pentecost. On the day that they were celebrating the law of God being given to them through pillars of fire, fire dwells on them, and then they are able to begin to preach the word of God because of the law written on their hearts. It's this incredible thing. And we as the church of Christ are called to do the same. We are called to be his witnesses. We are called to go and to make disciples. We are called to go and do these things. Things. The Holy Spirit empowers his followers to preach the gospel to all nations. So this is the miracle in the first, uh, the, the beginning of the church. This is an absolute miracle from God. The Spirit of God unites all people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, and everything to do what God has called them to do. That's what God has empowered us to do. It's funny, this reference. Are these people not speaking? Aren't they Galileans? You know, I was reading earlier, I didn't know this that apparently Galileans were, like, known to be super uncultured. They were known to, like, so, like, if you learn a new language, if you try to learn a new language over years and months, weeks, um, you're still going to have a little bit of an accent, I feel like. Like, for me, if I try to learn Spanish, I'm still going to probably, like, say certain words. It's like, oh, that dude did not speak Spanish, like, a month ago or two months ago, right? Like, when I tried to speak Spanish, like, you know, Spanish 3, and then I've just completely forgotten it all, right? Like, it's still, it's, I'm not going to, like, completely sound like it, but this is a miracle because all these people are saying, aren't these the Galileans? Aren't these, like, the people who, like, typically, like, embarrass themselves when they try and speak other people's language? But it's a miracle from God in this moment. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the direct application for us to now go out and start speaking in tongues? 
And so you have to look at this passage through the context of all of Scripture. You have to look at this uh, you know, situation, this miracle that the Lord does throughout the history of the rest of the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament, we, we don't see a specific instance of, of speaking in tongues happening quite like this. And so we believe this to be an isolated, beautiful, wonderful thing that the Lord has done. We see the next reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is actually rebuking the Corinthian church for a ton of things, but then also one of them being like uh, how they're misusing the speaking in tongues. And so I would say if you're looking at this passage with a very minute lens and you're just cutting this out of your Bible, you're like, sweet, I get to go speak in tongues to all different people right now because that's what happened to these people. You know, we don't look at the Bible in a vacuum. We look at the Bible throughout the whole history. And what we do know about this passage is that God unites people who could not have been united. God brings clarity to things that didn't make sense. God unites. God works in ways that are miraculous. Absolutely. I believe that 100%. Like, I don't look at the Bible. I'm like, oh, God used to do a bunch of cool stuff. Now he's kind of lame. No, God still works in our lives through the power of the Spirit. But we have to look at the grander context of Scripture so that we would not make any claims that aren't true. And so the Lord still does miraculous, wonderful things through the Spirit. The fact that you're a Christian is a miracle. The fact that you can share the gospel with someone and they can understand it is a miracle. And so the Lord still works in miraculous ways today, absolutely. And so this is a perfect example. This is what the Lord has done. So all this to say as we close, all this to say, what does this verse show us? What does this actual event and then the following events have to show us? This is main idea for tonight. At Pentecost, Jesus' promise is fulfilled and Jesus' people are empowered. Jesus' promise is fulfilled and Jesus' people are empowered. The church of Christ is on the move. It's not slowing down anytime soon. We're going we're gonna to see through, through sickness, through through, through, um, through pain, through persecution, the, the church of Christ continues to grow. It continues to succeed. I love this passage so much. It's the Lord empowering his people. It's Jesus' promise fulfilled to his people. We believe that in this reality that God lives and breathes and dwells in us. Are you right now in your life in a spot where you're wondering and asking yourself, God, are you near? Are you in a spot in your life right now where you're asking yourself, God, are you near? Are you close? My friend who's betrayed me doesn't want to talk to me anymore. Are you still near in this moment? Jesus keeps his promises. Jesus keeps his promise to dwell and to continue to dwell with us. So maybe you're waiting right now. Maybe there's a scripture you know, you believe it with all your heart. The Lord has spoken it through his word and you are clinging to it and you believe it. But man, it's really hard to believe in the waiting. It's really hard to wait in the time from the time that the promise happened to the time the promise is fulfilled. If that's you, we have the people of God to surround you and we have the word of God to continue in this. Or maybe you're in this time in your life right now where you know all this to be true, but it hasn't really changed anything about your life. Like you believe that all this happened. You believe that God has empowered you to do ministry, but you're not doing anything about it. Are you making excuses right now? Are you making excuses to not share the gospel? 
Are you making excuses? Well, I don't have the right words. I don't always know like what to say. If they ask me this question, I'm certainly not going to have an answer to that. Are you making excuses right now in your life to not share the gospel? I mean, these people, they didn't speak the same native language, and the Lord does this incredible thing. He empowers his people for ministry. There's no excuse. There's nothing we can say. There's no sort of like theological box we can put ourselves in to be like, well, this is just kind of what I get to do now. The Lord is empowering you. He is with you. He is near to you. And the church of Christ moves forward from here. The church of Christ continues. The church of Christ grows. And here we are today as a result of it. So where are you at? God dwells with his people. He keeps his promises. Even when we're not faithful to him, he's faithful to us. Even when we can't see it, he is working. What used to be on stone tablets, the law of God is now written on your heart that also used to be made of stone and now is made a heart of flesh. What once was hidden beside a veil is now found inside of you. What once was confusion is now brought to light. What once was pain is now brought to life to healing through the Spirit of God. The church of Christ, they follow him, they're with him, they're committed to him through this. All tribes, all tongues, all nations united together under the mission of God only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that God doesn't care? He's not close. How would you read this passage? Believing that, knowing that, thinking that. How could you read this passage and think anything different? Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would um, continue to remind us of these truths. God, when we feel lost, when we feel lonely, when we feel confused, help us to know that you're near, that you're guiding us, you're directing us. We love you, Lord. Jesus, be with us. Help us to remember the truths of your word. Help us not to be persuaded by anything that would not be of your word, that would not be true, that would be harmful. God, thank you for the gifts, the miracles that you've done and the miracles that you're still doing. We love you, Jesus. Help us to sing with confidence for these next two songs. Help us to sing with confidence and joy through the power of your spirit. We love you, Lord. It's Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand and respond.